honor of God's Word. We're continuing on in the book of Romans. And this morning we'll look at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I was going to cover 1 through 12, but that's just too much. Take it easy on you. Romans 4, 1 through 8. This is God's inspired, authoritative, inerrant word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord shall count shall not count his sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we want to ask that as your word is expounded, it would go forth with great power, the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. We also pray that Satan would be hindered from coming and snatching away the seed before it takes root. We also pray that your word would not land on shallow soil. We pray that it would not be choked out by the cares of this world, the desire for other things. But our prayer, Father, is that it would land on good soil and that it would bear much fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold, if your blessing should accompany it. And we do pray now that your blessing will accompany the reading as well as the proclamation and the receiving of your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I know that there are literally hundreds of different religions in the world, uh, but basically there are only two kinds of religions. Uh, the first religion is where man uh, ascends to God, where man tries to reach God and he can do that through good works, he can do that through giving money to charity, um, he can do that through strapping a bomb to his chest and blowing himself up. Uh, there are many different things that he thinks that he can do to get to God. But notice the direction. Man is trying to get to God. Man is trying to please God. And then there's the other religion where God comes to man. Where God condescends in the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, we celebrated Christmas, the incarnation of Christ God becoming man, one of us. And then He lives the perfect life that we never lived. And then He died on the cross for our sins so that through faith in Him we could be forgiven. And then He rose again from the dead on the third day. And then 40 days later, He ascended into heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty where He sits right now at this very moment interceding on our behalf as we mentioned earlier. And also where He sits 
ruling and reigning over the nations. Those are the two basic religions. We could boil it down to this. One religion is a religion of works and the other religion is a religion of faith and specifically faith in Jesus Christ. I also want you to notice that a religion of works leads to pride. It leads to boasting. And if you've ever talked to someone who's a part of one of these religions where it's by works, you will see their pride come forth. I mean, it really does. They're proud of the fact that they go door to door proclaiming the truth of their religion. They're proud of the fact that they try to live a moral life. That they abstain from alcohol or tobacco or or caffeine. And they're really proud of that because God is pleased by that. And, and that moral life will... Gain the blessing of God. That, that pride comes across. That boasting comes across. The religion of faith results in humility. Abject humility. Because you know that you did absolutely nothing to earn your salvation. Nothing. So you are completely humble. You say, I didn't contribute anything, nothing. The only thing you contributed, as John Stott has said, is the sin from which you needed to be saved. Everything else was a work of God. I remember years ago going through uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, asking, why is salvation by faith alone? And it's real clear if you think about those verses, and they're worth memorizing. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that, here's, here's why God designed it this way, so that no one would boast. Why grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that all boasting is removed? God gets all the praise. God gets all the boasting. God gets all the glory. That's why God designed it this way. And Paul is very concerned about this boasting. Last week we looked just briefly at, at 1 Corinthians 1. And I'll just read a couple of verses again. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. It comes right after Romans if you want to look at it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that, here's the purpose, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in whom? The Lord. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that all boasting is directed to God. Now, when we were last in Romans 3, 21-26, I uh, mentioned several times now that many consider that not only the greatest paragraph in the book of Romans, but the greatest paragraph in the Bible, the greatest paragraph ever penned in all of literature. 
because it answers the greatest question, how can unrighteous people stand in the presence of a righteous God? And the answer is, I've already given it a couple times already, the answer is that we receive the righteousness of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then coming after that great paragraph, Paul knows there's going to be some objections. We looked at three of them last week. But the first objection is found in verse 27, where Paul says in Romans 3, What then becomes of our boasting? And we said that sounds kind of odd to us. It sounds like Paul saying and other people are saying, well, then what becomes of our boasting? But we could look at it this way. What becomes of our pride? What becomes of our healthy self-esteem? And Paul says, well, actually, your pride and your self-esteem is demolished in the dust. And this, this really is strange to our culture because we live in a culture that thinks pride is actually a good thing. Let me give you just one example. Um, back in the, the 1990s, um, MTV ran a program, you're going to find this hard to believe, about the theology of sin. <laughs> the theology of sin and uh, the special revolved around the seven deadly sins. In case you're not familiar with them, the seven deadly sins were compiled by medieval church leaders and they are greed, lust, anger, envy, gluttony, sloth, and pride. Uh, as you might guess, MTV presented these sins as anything but deadly In fact, by the time the program was over, it seemed that these were actually the seven desirable sins. Um, At any rate, in this program, sound bites were provided by different celebrities, rockers, rappers, and ubiquitous mall rat. And they gave their opinions on these various topics. For example, Queen Latifah, a rap singer, actress, said, Pride is a sin? I wasn't aware of that. Actress Kirstie Alley took it a step further and said, I don't think pride is a sin, and I think some idiot made that up. Rapper Ice-T said, pride is mandatory. That is one of the problems of the inner city. Kids don't have enough pride. I got into a gang because of pride. And if that logic escapes you, you're not alone. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that applies either. But notice, they think we need pride. What we need is humility. And in a moment, we're going to talk about the fact that God gives us humility so that we can experience great joy and great happiness. But we'll come to that a little later. But notice very clearly, 327... What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. In Romans 4, 1 through 8, Paul returns to this objection of boasting and he's going to spell this out a little more and he's going to show us the implications. He wants us to see very clearly that boasting or pride depends on how we look at justification. He wants us to see that very clearly it is by faith alone, not by works on our part, so that boasting is removed. And to help us see the implications of this very clearly, uh, Paul basically is going to conduct a thought experiment. 
It's as though he's saying, now let's imagine that Abraham was justified by works. What are the implications? And then he shows us the other side. Let's imagine that Abraham was justified by faith and he gives us the implications. And he's going to show us this contrast so that we can see the difference between the two. So let's start at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? And according to the flesh, that just means uh, in his own strength, on his own effort. What, what was gained by Abraham, our forefather, on his own? And then he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, now stop right there, he wasn't. Okay, we're going to get to that in a moment. But that's the thought experiment. He's saying, let's, let's imagine for a moment that Abraham was justified by works. He has something to boast about. He has something to brag about. If he was justified, accepted by God because of his works, he could say, hey, look at me. Aren't I something? You know what? On one occasion, God took me up to Mount Moriah and he asked me to sacrifice my son Isaac to him. And you know what? I was willing to do it because that's the kind of man of God I am. Aren't I something? You should be more like me. If it really was based on works, he had something to brag about. He had something to boast about. You know, it's kind of interesting, right after Paul says that, and this is just a thought experiment, he says, but not before God. It's kind of interesting. I, it's, it's as though he's saying, if I'm interpreting him right, even in this thought experiment, I want you to know that you never can boast before God. There is no boasting before God. Never. Because everything you have comes from God. A uh, number of years ago, um, Michelle and I were talking to one of our children who were quite proud of the fact that they were getting very good grades. And, and they were. And, and we said, you know what? You need to be so humble and, and thankful to God. Yeah, Caleb figured out who was the one with the good grades. <laughs> it wasn't Caleb. Not that he doesn't get good grades, but, but at any rate, I digress. Uh, but we said, you need to be humble. You need to be thankful to God because He has given you a mind that is able to figure things out. Other people can't figure things out like you can. And, and then he or she followed up by saying, but I work really hard. And we said, yes, you do. You work really hard. And you know, who gave you the ability to work really hard? Even that comes from God. And just in this thought experiment, just think about it. Everything that you have, it comes from God. You do something, where did you get that gift, that ability? That does, that's from God. And then go back, where did that come from? And what do you find at the end of the line? God giving you everything that you have, which means you should be thankful and you should be humble because it all comes from God. You know, theologians wrestle over this and I, I really think it is something we should wrestle with. Uh, on the day of judgment, we're told that we're going to be rewarded for our good works. You will be rewarded, Christian, for your good works. And, and that should be very puzzling to you because you should realize, well, 
if I do anything good, anything that God is able to use, it's it's just because of the gifts and abilities and desire and hearts. It's it's because of what God has given me. How how can I be rewarded for what what He has given me? And that really should be a little baffling to you. And I I think Saint Augustine described it well when he said our rewards is basically just God crowning His own achievements. But maybe a great picture is the one we see in Revelation. God is going to reward us and maybe He's going to give us crowns and we're going to take those crowns and we're going to put them at the feet of Jesus and we're just going to say, I really just need to get all this back to you because it's all because of you in the first place. So just humility. Uh, Paul continues on in, in verse 3 after this initial thought experiment. He says, For what does the Scripture say? That's a great question, isn't it? What does the Scripture say? If you want to help people keep their thinking biblical and on track, you need to stress and you need to repeat the question, what does the Bible say? Wouldn't it be great if you could turn on the evening news and you could read about some tragedy and the anchor would say, now we want to pause for a moment before we continue on with our story. We want to ask the ultimate question, what does Bible say about this situation? What does God's Word have? Wouldn't that be so refreshing? I have to be honest with you. Many times, even pastors, when they're asked about a certain situation, don't say, well, this is what the Bible says. I don't know why they don't say that, but once in a while you hear it, and it's refreshing. Vody Bachman on one occasion, it was great. He was on the news and he was asked about his view of marriage and male headship. And you know that's going to be controversial. And he said, I, I want you to know I'm a pastor and I just proclaim what God's Word says. And it was great. They had a Bible study right on the evening news. It was wonderful. And the anchor said, i got to go home and i got to look this passage up later when I get home. They had a Bible study right there. But it was so refreshing. A pastor saying, well, this is what the Bible says unashamedly. By the way, when you hear Muslims on the evening news, they're not afraid to say, this is what the Quran says. And we follow the Quran. And I think God uses that to rebuke us Christians. If they're willing to take a stand for the truth, or excuse me, for a lie, why won't we stand up for the truth of God's Word? And I think part of it is is to challenge us. But at any rate, that's the question. What does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? And then Paul, quoting Genesis 15.6, says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. There's justification. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness, justification, forgiveness, salvation has always been from beginning to end, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And last week I reminded you that in the Old Testament they looked ahead to the coming of Christ. Under the New Testament we look back to the cross of Christ. But everybody is saved by Christ. And maybe here's a good point uh, to be real clear about belief. Abraham believed God. Maybe you've had this experience. I've had I had just a number of weeks ago in the health club talking to a guy. Well, I believe in God. Have you heard people say that? Well, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe there's a God that exists. A good follow-up is, that's a great start. 
That's that's a wonderful start. <laughs> now you need to move ahead to believing in Jesus and not just believing in Jesus but trusting in him for your salvation. We're not called to believe in God. We're called to believe God. You see the difference? Not just believe in God, but to believe God. True faith, saving faith, is believing God. When God says you're a sinner, you believe Him. When God says, I sent my Son to die for you, you believe Him. When God says, when you put your faith in Him, you will be forgiven and have everlasting life, you believe Him. When God says, this is how I want you to live your life, you believe Him. And when He says, you will be so blessed also, when you live according to my command, you believe Him. That's what true belief is. And in the context of this passage that Paul is quoting from, Abraham has no children. Okay, I'm trying to remember how old he was specifically at the time. He was 80, 90. Okay, we have some folks about that age. Takes this old man. He said, hey, by the way, you're going to have lots of children. Takes them outside. Look at all the stars if you can count them. So will your descendants be, old man. And we're told He believed God. God said it. He believed it. And he was declared righteous because he believed God when he had spoken, even when God spoke the outrageous. That's true saving faith. Paul continues on. Now to the one who works. He's continuing on in his thought experiment. Now he's going back to works. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So here's how it works. If you are justified because of works, you receive righteousness as a result of wages, which means it's just something that is due you. You deserve it. Okay? It's coming to you. Let's, let's say very simply, uh, you have a dog, you have a job at Dog and Suds. Okay? And, and you work really hard at, at Dog and Suds. And the next week your boss says, hey, I have a paycheck for you. You go, wow! Wow, I get paid for working? Thank you! Now, you should say thank you. There's nothing wrong with saying thank you. He, he didn't have to give you that job, so I think it's appropriate to say thank you. But I don't think you go, wow, and you're just absolutely blown away that you got a paycheck, right? I mean, that was the agreement, right? I mean, when Sergio gets his first paycheck at his new job and out in Seattle... He's not going to be surprised when they hand him a paycheck. He's not going to say, I had no idea that I would move all the way out here and get a paycheck. <laughs> no, he's expecting that paycheck. And so is Melissa. We, we need that paycheck, okay? That's, that's, that's how it works, right? But if you go to Dog and Suds and you, you pull up because you're going to get lunch and they bring you out to lunch, you know, the burger, the fries, grease flowing all over. Uh, and they say, hey, no charge. No charge whatsoever. It's a gift for us. It's a gift. That's, that's very different. That, that will surprise you, right? Right? And surprise my kids. And my kids are, Dad, you said there was no such thing as a free lunch. Look at, they just. <laughs> then I have to explain. Somebody paid for it, but, but then you're surprised because it's a gift. And, and that really is the point here. That's what he says in, in verse 4. 
His wages are not counted as a gift. But he wants to make it very clear. Salvation is a gift. We saw it earlier in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself. It is the what of God? The gift of God. It's a gift. It's a present. You didn't do anything to earn it. And he's going to mention that a little later in Romans 6.23. He's going to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then moving on to verse 5, he says, And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So Paul returns to faith and he says, it's a pure gift. It all comes from God. It's belief. It's belief. You're trusting God because God can be relied upon. And then he says, he's going to give another Example, He said, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes from Psalm 32. And, and this is very important because Psalm 32 as well as Psalm 51 were written by David after his adultery with Bathsheba and then the murder of her husband Uriah the Hittite in order to cover up his infidelity. And he wrote these psalms about God's great forgiveness. And maybe we should remember that under the Old Covenant, the punishment for adultery and murder was the death penalty. But David literally throws himself on the mercy of the court, asks for God's mercy, and God incredibly extends it. And then he says, and now you can appreciate these words, I hope, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sin. Blessed is that man. Happy is that man. And David, he is just humbly thankful to God for the forgiveness and the righteousness that God extends to him. What does salvation by grace alone through faith alone result in? Not only does it result in God receiving all the glory, but it results in you being a very happy, joyful person. Here's how it works. I'll make it real simple. Pride leads to misery. Humility leads to happiness. That's how it works. And you don't have to look any further than your own life to see that this is true. Think about those times when you are most miserable. Okay? I mean, it could be something as simple as you're trying, you're trying to go somewhere and there's traffic hindering you from getting there. What, what is with all this traffic? I deserve to have people get out of my way. And parked like the Red Sea before Moses. You, you, you could be in a restaurant and, and your server's not giving you the, the attention that you, you deserve and you're getting frustrated. Where did she go? Where did he go? Come on, I, I need another water. What, what is going on here? You know what that is? That's pride. 
Here's, here's how you can tell when you're being prideful. Real simple test. Whenever you find that your mindset is, I deserve. I deserve better service. I deserve better treatment. I deserve a bigger paycheck. I deserve a bigger house. I deserve a faster car. I deserve fill in the blank. Watch yourself. If you catch yourself having an I deserve mindset, that's pride. And it comes across two different ways, boasting or murmuring. If you say, I deserve to have that promotion, and you get the promotion, you know what you do? You brag. I got the promotion. Why are you bragging instead of being home? Because I deserve it. I work hard. What if you don't get the promotion? You grumble and you complain. You're miserable. Why? Because I deserve that promotion. See? I deserve, if you get it, boasting. If you don't get it, grumbling, complaining, because you're full of pride. And what's that pride doing? It is making you miserable. Miserable. But humility, on the other hand, makes you happy. You get the promotion. You're just so humble and you're so grateful. And you can get the promotion and people can still stand to be around you because you're not full of yourself. Or if you don't get it, you're like, that's okay. I know God will provide for me. He'll meet all our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's okay. And you can continue on with your life feeling contentful and peaceful because you know God will provide for you. So God has designed salvation so that He receives the glory and we are humbled and as a result, we are happy people. And just think of people you know. Aren't the happiest people you know just humble people, grateful for how God provides for them? You've heard the great stories. You know, people who have hardly anything. They sit down at dinner and their dinner on the 4th of July isn't, you know, ribs and steak. And their dinner is a crusty piece of bread and water. And they sit down... All this and Jesus too. Lord, thank you. We are so blessed. And that can sustain us even in the worst of times. Let me close with this story. I've shared it before, but I think it's so powerful and and maybe it's on my mind because I just officiated another funeral this last week. Uh, But this is from C.J. Mahaney's book, Humility and He talks about his sister, Sharon, and her husband came down with cancer, if I remember the story correctly, and and they had small children. And one of the family members, absolutely angry with God, how could God do this to this family, strike this man with cancer so that he's going to leave behind a wife and small children? How could God do such a thing? sure you've heard responses like that before. And he asked Sharon, why aren't you angry? Even that question is interesting. It was obvious that she wasn't angry. She's watching her husband die, yet she's not angry. She turned to him and answered with the truth of the gospel. Dave deserved hell for his sins, just like you and me. And yet God, in His mercy forgave him because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dave is going to heaven. She said, how could I be angry with God for taking him to heaven? And then CJ says, 
It was an answer I'm sure he wasn't expecting and one I doubt he'll ever forgive. But I think that's wonderful of how the grace of the gospel keeps you humble and content even in the worst of circumstances. There is great wisdom in the design of God for his salvation. And I love it. It's right up here on our mission statement, right? Everything that God does, he does for his glory and he does for our joy. And of course, that includes our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great salvation that exalts Jesus Christ while it humbles us. But it humbles us for our joy, our contentment, and our peace. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that we will keep our eyes upon Jesus. Father, I pray that we will remember your great love for us sinners. And as we grow as Christians, I pray that we don't take this salvation more and more for granted. Rather, I pray that we are more and more stunned by your love and your grace extended toward us sinners. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.